It's another morning, and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs, and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD to 65532. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Now, the underpinning of Halloween is um, spirits floating around, okay? And Killing the Witches, my latest bestseller, we're very, very happy with the way it's performing, almost 200,000 copies sold in five weeks, um, the witches were executed because they were consorting with the devil. Okay? The witches were consorting with the devil. That's why they were hanged. No witches burned in the uh, in New World, in Massachusetts Bay. They were burned in Europe. We explain all that. Today, there is demonic possession in the Roman Catholic Church. And we get into that in the latter part of Killing the Witches, it's called Exorcism. Well, this is a great Halloween book. Anyway, in order to delve into this area of witchcraft, spirits, devil, you have to believe in Satan. And then Satan lives in hell, so you would have to believe it. Now, I'm not sure, there have been surveys, most people in America describe themselves as Christian. And in the Christian theology, there is a hell, and there is Satan. And if you read the New Testament, Satan came before Jesus and tempted him. And there are a myriad of passages in the Old Testament for the Jews and the New Testament for the Christians about if you misbehave on a grand scale, you're going to hell. 
and there's fire there. Now, is that an allegory? Do you believe it? So I looked around to get the best guy to talk about this, and his name is Daniel Bonavec. He is a uh, professor of philosophy at the University of Texas at Austin, Ph.D. So, doctor, do you believe in hell? Yes, I do. And why do you? I, well, partly I am a believing Christian, and so I think there is such a thing as God. There is such a thing as angels. Um, and in particular, there is a devil. There is hell. Uh, now, if you look at the Bible and try to understand more about all of this, I think it's a bit the way Thomas Aquinas describes our understanding of God. He says we can know that God is, but not really what God is. We can't understand the essence of God. And I find something similar when I look at biblical texts about hell and about the devil. Um, for example, in the Old Testament, in uh, the book of Job, uh, Satan plays a very large role. And Zechariah makes a lot of references to Satan, um, but always in the role of the opponent, the adversary, the, the opposite in some sense of God. But what exactly is this being? Um, there isn't much really said. Now, there's much more discussion yeah. of the devil in the New Testament. It, it all comes have... down, Professor, it all comes down to what you want to believe. So I'm a Roman Catholic, and I want to believe in a just God. And I want to believe that after you die, you're judged on whether you are a good or bad human being by a just, all-knowing God. And then if you're a good human being, you're rewarded. If you're not, you suffer. That's what I want to believe. But I can't prove any of it. So then it becomes um, a little bit dicey discussing it with non-believers, right? How do you approach that? Right. It is difficult. Um, the argument you're describing, I think, is a very powerful argument, actually. Uh, it's, in fact, Immanuel Kant thought that morality and thinking about good and evil or right and wrong or justice and injustice makes no sense unless there is a God and unless there is some reward and some punishment at the end. Because otherwise... He, he had the same thought that you've had. Really, it would turn out that the universe isn't just then. Why should we pay any attention to morality at all? Why should we try to live a good life if in the end it doesn't do any good? Uh, within the bounds of this life, we know that the good suffer. And all too often, the unjust manage to thrive. And so he says none of it makes any sense whatever unless in the end the scales balance yeah, somehow. There's a balance, right. Um, and that's a trend in the United States now. I wrote a column this weekend called Writing Wrongs that uh, the progressive left, which, you know, contains a large number of atheists and agnostics, they don't want any judgments. And a lot of Americans reject religion because judgments are made not in the Unitarians, there are religions that don't judge at all, but in the, in the traditional religions, there's judgments, and they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be constrained. Whatever they want to do, they want to do, and they don't want to be held responsible for it. But in the end, we're all just guessing. Right, Doc? Absolutely. We're guessing. And even if you believe literally in the words of the Bible, 
you have to admit it's pretty unclear exactly what the devil is, even whether it is just a, a sort of abstract name for the kind of evils that lurk within our hearts and tempt us. Uh, there are passages that suggest that. Uh, in fact, some passages that talk about devils and demons and so on. And so, and so that's a possible interpretation. I don't think it's absolutely ruled out, even if you accept everything in the Bible. But, but yes, I mean, there's something about the scientific uh, attitude that's common today that suggests that, look, there's something weird about postulating something supernatural. I, I find myself drawn more and more to the idea, however, partly because of the extraordinary evils I see around me. I understand moral corruption. I understand giving in to temptation. I don't really understand the kind of thing we saw on October 7th. No, where and, that, and the Third Reich and, and Stalin and Mao and the mass murders and all that. The one exactly. thing that I have in Killing the Witches that I, I hope everyone reads is the passage about this 13-year-old boy in Maryland who was the real subject of the movie and book The Exorcist. All right, Ronald Hunkler is his name. We researched that, Professor. You could not have done more research than Martin Dugard and I did on it. And if all of those people are lying about Hunkler's condition, we're talking psychiatrists, medical doctors, family members, everything was written down. The eight exorcists out of St. Louis that dealt with the boy for three months. I mean, when you read that, you can reject it, and many, many people will. But boy, that, that was one, because I'm a logical thinker like Aquinas, not in his league, by the way, but kind of that <laughs> way. I went, whoa, you know, there's, this is almost overwhelming here. Hey, uh, doctor, thanks very much. We appreciate it very much. And if uh, we can ever return a favor, you let us know. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKSeedKits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Hey guys, it's Vivek Ramaswamy here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, Truth. We just relaunched it after the campaign, and we are already riding up the podcast charts. Here's why. I think that hard, in-depth conversations about the tough issues is the only way we're going to get this country back. Because make no mistake, we are currently in a war for the future of America, and you cannot win a war unless you're willing to speak the truth. If you want standard conservative talking points, this podcast is not for you. But if you want to go deeper and hear the conversations you're not going to find anywhere else, the conversations that will challenge you, that will challenge me, then subscribe to Truth with Vivek Ramaswamy. 
on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I promise you, you're going to cover terrain that you're not going to hear elsewhere. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So, um, you know, Senator Chuck Grassley, he's been there since the Civil War, Nebraska guy, Iowa guy. I'm sorry, we get that wrong. I don't know why. So Grassley has been in uh, Senate a long time, Iowa, and he is concerned about uh, the FBI not investigating Hunter and Joe Biden. So he writes eight days ago a letter to President Biden. Here is a portion of the letter, quote, based on the information provided in my office over a period of years by multiple credible whistleblowers, there appears to be an effort within the Justice Department and FBI to shut down investigative activity relating to the Biden family. Such decisions point to significant political bias infecting the decision-making of not only the Attorney General and the FBI Director, but also line agents and prosecutors. A Republican it cannot survive such a political infection, and you have an obligation to this country to clear the air. That's to President Biden. Okay? Uh, of course, Biden did not reply to it because Biden is not clearing anything. Because if he does, he could be in very serious trouble, which he will be anyway. Eventually, they're going to get to this. You know that. Anyway, uh, I read you that because I wanted to talk with uh, one of our top guests, Brett Tomlin, former prosecutor federal prosecutor about the FBI. So let's do away with all, uh, bring him on in. Uh, let's do away with all the FBI agents aren't at fault because we all know that, all right? And we don't have to say that it's been said way too many times. You watch Christopher Ray, all right? And you worked in that Justice Department. Is this a guy that inspires confidence to you? Bill, thanks for having me on. I, not only did I work in the Department of Justice, I was in the Department of Justice the same time as Chris Ray and worked with him on several different DOJ committees. And I'll tell you, you know, you summarized what uh, I think the American people really need to know about Chris Ray, and that is he will not be a man of courage. And right now, this country in the Department of Justice needs men and women of courage that are willing to say, we will investigate. We don't care about your politics. We're not going to try to cover for anyone. The same guy that would authorize the these 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 ridiculous investigations into Donald Trump um, when it when it should be a civil matter that's that's handling some of the disputes is refusing to pursue what is clear clear racketeering behavior, money laundering, bribe, movement of money to avoid detection. We, we now know the sourcing investigative uh, investigation was done. They actually connected the dots. Now we know they had to do quite a bit to avoid holding the Biden family accountable. So they got the information from various people and then they, what they call, uh, dumped it. They wouldn't pursue it. They said it was Russian disinformation, whatever excuse, they wouldn't aggressively do it. Now, what I don't understand is this. Comey was a disaster, right? The former FBI chief, it was a disaster. And all his lieutenants were ridiculous, um, very partisan uh, Democratic people. And then Trump comes in and he appoints Ray. Now, I, I don't know, maybe Ray was Elliot Ness at one time and then all of a sudden he lost it. I don't I don't know. But Trump appointed Ray, right? 
Well, that's that's right. You know, the the Trump ignorance on on Ray and on, you know, who he could trust or who he should listen to uh, really is turning into be, you know, maybe his largest mistake as a president. It was apparent way back then that Chris Ray was not the candidate that was going to exercise, you know, independence and courage and, and be a force in that. How was He's that apparent? Let me, let me stop you. Let's get specific. How was that apparent? Because I didn't know. When Trump said, oh, I'm going to give the job to Chris Ray," I wasn't here going, what? I didn't know. How was it apparent yeah. to you? It was apparent to me having worked. There are a certain cross-section of individuals that are born and bred in Washington, D.C. They are, they are angling for appointment positions. When an administration comes in that's not their party, they stay in D.C., they wait it out, then they push for a position back when the, the new administration comes. It's this revolving door. It, it's happening all the time. You wouldn't know that if you're Donald Trump and you're jumping into Washington, D.C. He really would have had to have listened to some folks that said, hey, let, let's bring in an outsider that has law enforcement credentials, ha, has worked it, you know, with the FBI or has the chops to come in here that you, you actually might have some confidence in. I wouldn't put a I wouldn't put someone in that position that I didn't know. I would have to know that individual and their background and know that you know there's someone that I could trust. The the, yeah. the amount of advice well, here, that he has to give to the president is substantial. Here's the ultimate irony. Chris Christie wanted that job. And remember Christie was a big Trump supporter in the, in the beginning. And Trump didn't give it to him. And I don't know why. Okay? Now Christie hates Trump um, more than anybody. And I know it's because he didn't get that attorney general job. So it is the swamp was not drained by Donald Trump. Let's be honest. It wasn't drained. I mean, maybe he tried. I don't know how hard. He had a lot of other things to deal with, uh, which he did a good job on. The economy being number one. And then he had COVID. So I'm not, right. you know, I'm not unreasonable here. But let's get back to the FBI. Um, traditional conservative Americans have no trust in the Bureau. None. When, when a guy like Ray can get up and ask a direct question, would it be better for the FBI if the border were responsibly policed and he won't answer the question? You know it's all over. I mean, I, when I see that, I go, if politics comes before public safety, that's the bottom line on this, isn't it? Politics well, comes before public safety. What an outrageous moment. I'm glad you highlighted it, because if there was ever an, a, a question that was simple to answer, it would be that it right. is unbelievably more difficult if the border is not secure. I right. mean, you need someone you need someone like John Ratcliffe, the former you know, director of national intelligence, who was a U.S. attorney to be in that position that says that doesn't care about politics and wants to say, guess what? Mayorkas, you need to you need to secure the border. It's not secure. We have pockets of terrorists that we already know are in this country. What about all the ones we don't know? And not only that, but the FBI does narcotics work. And the FBI knows that most of the crime in this country is generated by drug addicts. And now the That's drug right. addicts have more product cheaper on the streets than at any other time in the history of this country because of the open border. So you got a twofer, you got foreign threats, the people coming across, and then you got hundreds of thousands of Americans killing themselves with the drugs that are unimpeded 
coming across the border. And then you got uh, Ray going, oh, I, I, that's, you can ask Mayorkas. It's pretty depressing. Uh, Tommy, you got to get back in the game, man. You, you, I want you to be <laughs> FBI director. Right? Can we okay. make that happen somehow? You got... I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah, but you're out there in Utah. You're on the slopes. You know, oh. yeah, you're waving at everybody. Come on, you got to get back in the game. We got to get you in there. We appreciate it, Brett. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Did you know every day is a perfect day for peace of mind? With American Home Shield warranty, you are covered for unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters. Choose a plan that fits your budget and rest easy knowing repairs and replacements are taken care of. Simply contact American Home Shield when an issue arises and their trusted pros will handle it according to your coverage. Don't let worries about appliances and home systems weigh you down. Celebrate the reassurance of protection. Don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, visit ahs.com slash bill. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product is being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundations in the Line of Duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America, over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So there is a Cornell professor of history, Russell Rickford. Here's what he said. For the first time in years, it was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. And if they weren't exhilarated by this, this challenge to the monopoly of violence by this shifting of the balance of power, then they would not be human. I was exhilarated. So he's exhilarated by Hamas slaughtering uh, more than a thousand Israelis. So Rickford is suspended. He, it says voluntary suspension. I don't think we're going to be seeing him again at Cornell, but you never know. So I wanted to find out what the deuce is going on up there. Joining us from Providence, Rhode Island, is a Cornell University law professor, uh, still active in the university, William Jacobson. And um, what I need to know, you've been there 16 years, according to the research that we have. It wasn't always this way at Cornell, was it? 
No, there's no question it has gotten worse in the 16 years that I've been there. And you saw this steadily rising over the years. You've seen over the years four boycott resolutions introduced to student government. You've seen a group called Students for Justice in Palestine, which is actually not for justice, it's for the destruction of Israel, get more and more aggressive on campuses. You've seen faculty get more extreme in their rhetoric against Israel. So no, it's not always been this bad. I'd say it has been escalating and it got to this point, but it's worse now than it's ever been. Who's behind the escalation? Is it the college president? Who's doing this? I'm not sure there's one person behind what's happening at Cornell. I think it's a combination of factors. One, it's a national movement against Israel. So you can look at the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. You could look at the National Students for Justice in Palestine movement, who, by the way, on their protest posters against Israel have put the paragliders that were used to uh, attack the, you know, the music festival where 270 people were killed. Some of their branches did that. So it's a combination of things. It's also a combination of faculty. So uh, it's certainly not the president of Cornell who's instigating this, but I do think that the Cornell administration has made things worse by their heavy push on what's called diversity, equity, and inclusion, which really leaves Jews on the sidelines. So everything is now viewed through a racial focus. And the anti-Israel students and faculty use that against Israel and use that against Jewish students. So okay. I'd say it's more a sign of the times made worse by administration policies. I don't think the administration consciously uh, wants this to happen. All right. Uh, I don't know about that because I'm not there. I can speak to uh, a few colleges that I know about because I attended them. But I want to just want Cornell, before all this happened, was woke. You had a bunch of incidents there where students were accused of stuff, denied due process. As you pointed out, uh, almost everything is diversity and inclusion and all of this very, very far left stuff. The president has to know what's happening. The board of directors of Cornell have to know what's happening. And the alumni has to know. It was not a secret that this deterioration of due process, of sane thought, there have been conservative speakers shouted down at Cornell. You know all this, Professor, correct? Am I, I'm not miscategorizing him, am no. I? No, you're actually not. You're, you're spot on there. This has been a problem. I've been speaking out against it. Most people on campus are afraid to speak out against yeah, it. Yeah, they're afraid because they'll get canceled. So I went, right. to Mar I went to Marist College just down the Hudson River from Cornell. You know Marist, right? Yeah. Okay, so it was once a working class school that didn't really, even during the Vietnam War, there were big demonstrations, but it wasn't crazy left. There were crazy students, but it, the administration kept it calm. In the last 10 years, they have hired presidents of the school that have been ardent leftists and replaced traditional board members with radical leftists. So the board of Marist College is radical left and the administration, because they hire their own professor, that's how it goes. You get somebody at the top, you get a board of directors, and they're hiring people who echo what they believe. Am I wrong? 
Yeah, I, I think you're right in many colleges. I, you know, I'm a big critic of Cornell. I've been a vocal critic of what's been happening. Um, I, I would term it more negligence as opposed to anything else. I don't think the president, while I've been a critic of hers, is a radical. I think she's more a corporatist, and it's easier to go along. But she's a coward. She's a, she's a coward, like the president of Harvard. They're cowards. And the president of Marist College, the same thing. They're not going to stand up against this insane movement that justifies murder. You won't stand up. If you won't stand up against that, you're not going to stand up against anything. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, so I, I think this is a reflection of the decline of American universities, the particular decline of so-called elite universities, the radicalization of the faculty. A lot of this stuff is faculty driven. You just showed a clip of a faculty member standing up there saying he was exhilarated by the Hamas attack. I uh, know. And, and I don't think he's coming back to Cornell because that would really, really be a black mark. And I think some of the alumni at Cornell are going to pack it anyway as far as donations. Professor, good luck to you. We appreciate your candor. Thanks for coming on. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. Remember a guy named Paul Manafort? Yeah, you do. If you follow politics, um, he was uh, President Trump's campaign chairman appointed to that position in May 2016. He's a big guy in a Trump campaign. Um, and then almost simultaneously for him taking over as a campaign chairman for Trump, the Fed starting to investigate him on a variety of financial matters. On July 26, 2017, FBI agents raided Paul Manafort's home without warning. They just showed up looking for documents. Now, Trump had warning. Uh, Mr. Manafort did not. And they went in. And he was subsequently charged um, with a number of uh, felonies. Um, he pled guilty to a couple of them. And the other charges were dropped after he did that. He was sentenced to seven years in a federal penitentiary. He served one year, two months. And he has a new book. And the book is called Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. Paul Manafort joins us now from New York. Um, did I set you up properly, fairly? You set me up fair, properly and fairly. Okay. And I'm used to being set up. <laughs> yeah, I, we want to be fair above all. 
So the lead question is, and I have not read your book, as I told you uh, before we went on the air, I've, I looked it over, but I haven't read the whole thing. If you pleaded guilty to federal charges, do you have a beef? Uh, yes, uh, because the part of the story you referenced is the end of the legal process, not the beginning of the legal process. Uh, what I pled guilty was I had two trials, two two two, two uh, uh, indictments. One was in Virginia, and one was in uh, in D.C. The one in D.C. was the first one. It dealt with the fair violations that they said uh, you know were of a criminal nature. Um, and they then brought when they couldn't use those charges to get me to do a plea agreement and uh, and talk about Donald Trump in a way that would implicate the president in uh, Russian, uh, the Russian collusion narrative, uh, they brought superseding charges to me. And uh, those were filed in Virginia <clears throat> because they were dealt with tax matters. Okay, let me stop you so, there. So it was clear to you, did the FBI tell you, we want you to flip on Donald Trump, uh, tell us that he colluded with Russians, and if you do that, we'll drop all the charges or you won't be um bothered by us anymore was that clear to you well there was no commitment to drop all charges no but the but the process was focused on you know leniency uh as and the the plea agreement didn't happen until after the first trial was over okay i don't want to get too in the weeds on this so so you were promised leniency if you gave up trump on certain things involving russian collusion in hindsight did you do anything wrong in your opinion, just in general? In, in general, the answer is no. And all the charges that were brought against me, for the most part, were all issues that the government had dealt with in the past and either resolved or dismissed. Okay. So you believe that you are a victim of political prosecution because you were linked to Trump. You wouldn't give Trump up. And so that they basically went ahead to try to punish you for your silence. But then again, you come back to why did you plead guilty? Why didn't you just go to a jury? Well, the first case I did, I, I went to a jury. There was a four week In the DC case, but not in the second. Oh, no, the, in the Virginia case was first. And I mean, just even though it was filed in superseding charges, it ended up being the first gag. Okay, okay, but why, why, didn't you, why didn't you just play the whole string out with the jury? Well, I did in the first in the Virginia case, and I was convicted of eight of the uh, eighteen charges, uh, and uh, and then two weeks later, the Virginia case was uh, was going to be happening, and I mean the, the D.C. case was going to be happening, and that case the jury was 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 going to be selected within the framework of the whole, of the first trial. I voidered the jury. We had hundred twenty questionnaires. In those 120 questionnaires, we found one juror who said they wouldn't be, uh, they weren't prejudiced against right, Trump. So you didn't think you would win the case, you and your lawyers. Well, I knew Question I wouldn't of, win it. How much did it cost you out of your pocket, Mr. Manafort, to defend yourself against all of this stuff? Millions of dollars. Millions, Millions of, dollars. of dollars. Was that a concern that you didn't want to continue this because you, you didn't Well, there money? were three concerns as to why I didn't want to continue. One of them was the cost of another trial. Two was in that second trial, they had forfeiture actions they were trying to bring against me uh, because going back 20 years, 
on, on a violation that occurred, they claimed, in 2013. Uh, I knew that, that, didn't feel confident after the voir dire that I was had any chance of getting a fair trial. The judge rejected giving me a venue change. Uh, and in the assets they wanted to take were assets I'd given to my daughters uh, and family, you know, 10, 15 years before. So they were trying to not just destroy me, but my family. When you say uh, so they, was this they the Justice Department? Department? The Justice Department Special Counsel. So, and who, who was the Attorney General at that time? Well, the, the, it was, he was not in, in, man, in the man at all. This was Bob Mueller, Special Counsel's Office, Andrew Weissman. They were in okay, charge so of like, Mueller and Weissman, the guys that investigated the Russian collusion, they were responsible for all of the charges against you and to use your word in your book, persecute you, correct? Correct. Okay. When the raid in Ma'alago happened last week, was it similar, in your opinion, to what you went through? Uh, Yes, it was. For example, I had been cooperating with the intelligence committees uh, and, and all the information they were asking for during the Russian collusion investigation. Two days after I met with the two committees, they did this no-knock 6 a.m. raid on my condominium, you know, 15 FBI agents, guns drawn, in my apartment, knocking on my door of my bedroom, uh, waking me up. Um, there was no reason for that overreach. I was, was the media uh, there? Well, I don't remember. Was the media tipped off? I know CNN was tipped off well, on one of these. The, the difference between Stone and, my, and me was Roger lived in a home. So they, you know, see, they, okay. they were walking down the street. They would have okay. had a hard time sitting there walking down the hall. So the FBI shows up, that shows you, uh, they show you the warrant. You look at the warrant and they come in and they ransack your house. Is that what happened? Yes. All right. Now, you do believe that you are a political prisoner um, because of your work on behalf of Donald Trump. That's what basically your book is about, right? Well, and in the book, I specify very clearly the fair charge that was the foundation charge against me. I had resolved with the Department of Justice fair unit. Okay, and, what, and everybody will see what you, uh, but what I'm trying to get out of here is there are people, millions of them, who feel that we have lost our fairness in this country, that we are no longer equal justice for all, that now the federal government is taking a side, the Democratic Party side, the liberal side, and persecuting the conservative side. Do you believe that? I believe that there's a two-tiered system of justice, yes. Do you believe that the Donald Trump situation from the very get-go, and you were involved with it from the beginning, as was I, I did the first interview with him when, after he declared uh, his candidacy, do you believe that there was a conspiracy to destroy him, and if so, why? I believe he was a threat to the, the, to, to the establishment of the deep state, if some people call it, and I believe that uh, that, that threat was something that they couldn't deal with. I believe that they never expected him to win, uh, uh, but when he did win, they didn't understand it at all, and they not, never recognized in his election did everything they could to uh, to destroy his presidency, including. Okay. After what happened to you, and you have been through hell for six years, do you still believe in your country? 
Do you still want to live here? Do you still feel that this is a noble nation? I've done campaigns all over the world. There's no doubt in my mind this is still the best country in the world. Our democracy is still the best democracy. The fact that it's under attack is not to lose faith in it, but it's to try and fix it. And that's why you wrote the book again. It's political prisoner, persecuted, prosecuted, and not silenced, but not silenced. Paul Manafort. We appreciate it, Mr. Manafort. If uh, we'll talk again, I think you have a good perspective on the uh, on the government and and what it can do. Um, certainly, you uh, you felt that sting. We appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com. Sign